goodness. Clyde, are you in here? Other elders, are you in here? There's Clyde. Linda? Oh, there we go. Awesome. So let's uh, just give, us, give this man our blessing and just lay it on him so the Holy Spirit can be released. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you again, Lord, for Doug and all that you've put into him. And uh, <clears throat> he's been uh, following you hard for long, hard years. And this year is just one more year where he's going to run the race hard. We know that, that you have given him that ambition and that desire to see your kingdom expand and to grow up people around him. And uh, we just release him to speak what's on your heart this morning and to let your kingdom come through him and to us. And this would be a wonderful time of growing in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, um, I, as, uh, as we were being prayed over, I just saw um, the word pace setter. Not a trendsetter, but a pace setter. And you're going to be setting the pace for people to follow. A good pace. That's such an interesting word because when you guys first laid hands on me, what I saw was like going down the I-5 corridor, they have these on-ramps. And as my wife and I are just moving forward, I see all these people coming on the on-ramps. And they join, and we kind of converge, and we move together like a big caravan down the road. That was great. Thank you, brother. I want to do something right out of the gate that I think is important to do. I'm a big believer in showing honor to whom and where honor is due. And I would like everyone that was involved in this North Room project, in terms of the tear out and the concrete work, to just stand up. There was a lot of you. Youth, stand up. You guys were involved in that in a serious way. Look at this. Now, yeah. Steve, I, Steve Montgomery, he's retired. The guy did concrete forever. He's been a pastor and a minister, and he did concrete forever. I mean, this guy probably forgot more in terms of concrete and knowledge than most guys will ever know. I just say that as caduce to you, brother. I just, you're amazing. But he showed up, and he ran the bull float. That's a big job. And he did an incredible job. What, what amazed me was the younger guys were like, you know, this guy's kind of old. Can he, can he, can he? They weren't saying that. You could just see, well, you know, we're going to honor this brother and make a space for him. Dude, they were all like going, whoa, look at that guy, go. So you're running with the big dogs. Just keep running with him, brother. Yeah. Just saying. Wow. You know, this time of year leading into it, everyone's always asking, <clears throat> what's the vision? What does the new year look like? What's going to happen? What's going on? And I do not, I, I, I pull away for a moment because I want to just be in this solitude, mo solitude moment where I'm just all alone with Jesus. And I'm not hearing any other voices. I'm not hearing any other distractions. I'm not saying that those other prophetic voices are off or wrong. I'm just saying, this is what I do. 
and I pull away. It's kind of that mountaintop moment. I pull away and I just say, Father, what are you speaking to me personally? And what are you speaking to our tribe? And I really believe that I'm hearing God's word for this coming year. And I'm excited, but at the same time, I'm going, whoo, this is going to be a big year. Someone posted something, and it was, it was a meme, well, I don't know if it was a meme, it was a quote, but the brother that posted is the pastor out of a vineyard up north, and he's a great brother, Frank Batham. Frank, if you're listening, forgive me. But Frank is a, he's fun, he's full of laughter and joy, and he posted something about, in, in, in kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of way about how we're going to tiptoe with everything that's happened this last year, we're going to tiptoe into this new year quietly, because we don't want to rock the boat. That's not Frank, by the way, because Frank is loud. And I thought, how funny. And you're lo- well, you started watching people's comments on Frank's post. And I'm telling you guys, this is not a year to tiptoe into our destiny, destiny, destiny quietly. This is not a year to do that. It's not. This is a year that we're going to war and we're going to fight. And the first thing you have to understand and get your head around You've got to get away from this therapeutic gospel that's been preached for years that says, you've got to feel good. Well, pastor, if you're not preaching sermons that make me feel good and warm and fuzzy, then I'm just going to leave. Well, this, if that's you, God bless you. This may not be the place for you, and I might not be your pastor moving into this year. And I'm okay with that. But what we need to do is we need to return to a gospel that's filled with self-sacrifice, that's filled with fire that we're willing to do whatever it takes. So we will go into this year learning how to fight. Tony Tony Davis said something one time I thought was so profound. He said, when you go in the military, it's not about about, um, uh, basic learning. It's called basic training. And this is a year we've been taught to death. We've listened to so much. We're like the old Keith Green song. We're too fat to fly because of all the knowledge we have in us. How many have felt like that? You're like, man, I just, oh, I'm so full. What are you doing with that? This is a time. This is a season. This is a moment when God's going to cause you to stand up and he's going to squeeze you. And you're going to begin to release out of your mouth things that are going to make the enemy move out of the way. Amen. I, I want to go to a scripture because every year about this time, people gather around and, and, and emails, oh my goodness, and stuff that comes through emails and promotions all about church growth, church planning, church. Pretty soon you're listening to all it's, it's almost like, there's this party going on. And if you just, if for 1995 you buy this plan, we will show you how to increase your church growth by 3,000%. Are you kidding me? I've been doing this for years, and there is no magic bullet. There is not. There isn't no secret formula. It's simply doing what God told you to do. So many of you have been told by God to do things, and you're going, I want more, God. I want more. I get that cry. But at the end of the day, what are you doing with what God has already given you? Did you just tuck it away? for a further date, or is it just in that big old file cabinet that keeps getting bigger and bigger? What are you doing with what God has given you? What are you doing with it? 
Only you can answer that question. I'm not going to meddle, but I will this morning, okay? But I hear this a lot. Pastor, what is your vision? What is your plan? What, what, what thing are you writing out to create that's going to take the church into the future? And I look at him and I say, turn to Proverbs 29, 18. Turn there, please. Proverbs 29, 18. I hear this all the time from those that are just saying, we need to sit down, we need to figure out this huge, map out our entire destiny for the church. Let's just sit down and write this all out. Now hear me for a moment, because I want to be clear. I want to differentiate between the world and the world's standards and the kingdom of God and God's economy. They're uniquely different, okay? People say, <clears throat> where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. How many have heard that scripture? That's a very well-known scripture. Even the world has incorporated verbiage like this in terms of developing a plan, developing a model that we can move forward with. And it says, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So let's take a look at this first part of this scripture. Where there is no vision, the people perish. What, what does that really mean? Where there is no vision, the people perish. There are some that have used this verse to emphasize the importance of vision and leadership. It's like, well, without a long-term plan, without a vision, people are doomed to walk aimlessly. But Proverbs 29, 18 is not talking about having a business or a ministry vision. Now, hear me. I understand business. That's my background. And I understand that when you own a business, it's important to have a mission statement, a purpose, and even a vision within that context, right? I mean, if you don't have a mission statement and know what you're doing and where you're heading, you truly can start out making pencils and end up making bumpers for Etzels because mission creep sets in, and pretty soon you're drifting. And sometimes you have to bring everybody back to that moment where you go, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not making bumpers. We're making pencils, and you pull them all back to the original mission and the purpose of what you're doing. Is that, is that good, Matt? Matt's a business major. Is that, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Yeah. Let's go on. There is that moment when people sit down in the world. I get this because I've owned several businesses in my life, and my wife and I have done really well in that area. We're not billionaires, we're not millionaires, but God has prospered us because we were faithful to some principles that he set spinning when he set the stars in the sky. Yes, there is those moments where you sit down in terms of a business and you write out a plan. I get that. But listen, what we build within the kingdom, within the confine and the context of the kingdom, what we build with our own hands without God, we will have to sustain without him. And that's the problem. A lot of people in, I'll use capital C, church around the world, have built these huge missions and this huge vision. They have built it. And I've watched the rise and the fall of these ministries. How many have seen that over the years? Yeah. Proverbs 29, 18, oh, Proverbs 19, 21 says, many are the plans in a person's heart. This is Solomon writing this. The wisest man supposedly under Jesus that ever lived. 
he says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but is, it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So Solomon, like many other people in the Bible, he recognized the importance of calibrating our plans with his plans. He really emphasized the importance, like others, of, again, recalibrating. And this is that moment. We're going to recalibrate what we're doing. Because if mission creep is kept in your life and you're not walking where you know you should be, it's time to stop and to recalibrate. Now, any of you that's ever done any automotive machine work where you're, you're measuring journals and stuff on camshafts and crankshafts, and I may be going over some people's heads but not others, Sometimes that, that caliper that you're using, whether it's a dial indicator, whatever, sometimes you have to recalibrate it, right? Because if you don't, it can get bumped, it can be off several thousands, and you go to put something together and you go, huh, that doesn't quite fit right. Because the instrument you were using wasn't calibrated again. And this is one of those moments. So those of you who have ears, listen. This is a moment where we're going to recalibrate what God's been speaking, and we're going to line it up to his purposes so for a deeper understanding of Proverbs 29, 18, let's look at a couple other translations. Now, I read out of the King James. Turn to the NIV if you have it. On your phone, just simply swipe and do a few things and you're in the NIV. Now, this, this is going to bring some clarity to what this scripture really means. The NIV puts it this way, where there is no revelation, hmm, people cast off restraint. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Hmm. The ESV says, where there's no prophetic vision. Not pathetic, prophetic vision. The people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. So, so this word, which is the word kazon in the Hebrew, really means for vision, really means or refers to divine communication. So basically, if there is no divine communication, if there's no, let's say, divine dreams, if there is no divine revelation, no divine pro prophecy given, the people cast off restraint, they, they drift away, and they perish. Does that make sense? It'll get clearer here in a moment. It's getting quiet in here. So this same Hebrew word for vision is used several, if not many times, throughout the Old Testament. It's used in uh, 1 Samuel 3.1, the calling of Eli. The boy Samuel ministered before, uh, I'm sorry, the calling of Samuel. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And then it says, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. And it said, there were not many visions Interesting. So the context here in this particular scripture is the rarity of the word of the Lord and the infrequency of prophetic visions. Now, there's a lot of prophetic insight in this room. What are we doing with it? Just hold that for a moment. That same word, this same word is used to introduce the prophetic books of Isaiah, Obadiah, and I believe it's used in some of Daniel's uh, visions. It kind of opens up the vision with this prophetic word, where there is no vision, vision meaning where there's no divine communication. So lack of vision is, is really uh, 
I'm trying to think of a very gentle way to speak this, but I'll just say it this way. Lack of vision is a lack of God's revelatory word. Lack of vision comes from not reading God's word. Lack of vision comes from not pressing into God and doing what he's telling you to do. That's why people perish. That's why people run amok. That's why people drift to the ends of the earth because they've heard the word of the Lord and they're not doing anything with it. They just camp on it. And then they're crying out, more God, I want more. Come on, take what God has given you. Open it, pull it out of the envelope and begin to use it. And as you do, God will give you more because of your faithfulness for little things. God will give you more. I have watched many of you grow up in this church in terms of a spiritual way. And I've watched you be faithful with the little words that God has given you. And in time and over time, all of a sudden, you are walking in a place of incredible anointing. Because you understand the idea of giving away what God has given you. So let's take us a little bit farther. Because Proverbs 29:18 also says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Then it goes, <clears throat> let me just stop there for a moment. The people perish. A lot of times we take that where there's no vision, the people just die. Well, it literally means they just wander and run amok. It, it, it's the same Hebrew word that, that is used in Exodus uh, 32, 25. Remember the golden calf incident? Moses comes back into camp, and what happened? 32, 25 says, Moses saw that the people were running wild. They had cast off all restraint. And it was, woohoo! And they were just running all over the place doing crazy. And that Aaron had let them get out of control and so became a laughing stock of their enemies. Does that sound familiar? We have ignored God's word. We've ignored what he's told us to do. And in that, we've cast off restraint. Vision is worthless if we're not willing to do what we're told to do and follow God. It's not. It doesn't work. We have the greatest book. We have the greatest source of power that comes from that book. And at best, I think the world's just tolerating us because I think we've cast off restraint. We're running amok. We're not doing what God told us to do. Are you living a life of Romans 12, chapter 1? Are you presenting your body to Christ as a living sacrifice? I told you I was going to meddle a little bit. That's the problem. You know, we've grown up with, uh, in, the, in the original days, and this is so far from my notes, but I'm going for it. In the original days of the early church, it was a message that was so powerful. The Holy Spirit came to them in the upper room, and it wasn't to give them goosebumps. It wasn't to make them just feel good and giddy. It was to empower them to go out with a message that would change the world. 
And, and when you read Acts chapter 2 and beyond, you see all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes and then they're pressed out of that room. Boom, they're in the streets. And they're preaching with power and conviction. They're preaching from that Romans 12 position where they were presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice. They understood that their life was not their own. They had surrendered it and given it to a king. And they're preaching the gospel and thousands and thousands of people come to meet Jesus in that moment. And it was a gospel that was preached with power and with authority. And people were not only saved, but people were healed. They were changed. We see demons driven off. We see people healed. We see all kinds of incredible things happening in the New Testament in the early church because these people lived a life of self-sacrifice. They weren't trying to see how comfortable they could be. But then over time, this message is really morphed. As churches grew and their visions and their plans and all this stuff, it was like it, if, if you really look at church growth in some of these big mega super churches, are, and I, I'm not trying to beat on it, I'm just saying this is a pattern I see. When they began to introduce a lot of these programs, the people became so busy within the church, there was nothing left in them physically to go outside of the church and to do the stuff. Because they were so tied up in church programs and, and all the stuff that goes on. Now, I'm not anti-program because to me, I love good coffee, but if I drove up to Dutch Bros and said, give me a cup, just put it in my hand, a coffee. No, not a real, I just pour it in my hand. That ain't going to work. That's what a cup does is it holds the good stuff. The program can hold the good stuff and make it work. I understand systems. I understand how it all rolls and works. I, I'm totally all in on it. I get that. But when that becomes the focus, we miss the real purpose of what we're doing. We're called to go out into the highways and the byways. I am so proud to know some of you that have gone beyond this, these walls. You've gone out into a community. You've gone out into the highways and the byways because you want to make a difference. You feel God calling you into that. And it's been tough. It's been hard. It's been a lot of warfare. But God bless you. Do not stop because this is your moment. And I believe as you continue to put one foot in front of the other and walk into what God's called you, this grace that's going to follow you is going to be unbelievable unbelievable grace. So here we have throughout history, this message that started in the New Testament with present your bodies as a living sacrifice, give it all, and then somewhere all the way down through time, they've watered this down to fit their narrative to where now we're preaching a therapeutic gospel. Again, a gospel that makes people feel good. And we wonder why everyone looks at the church today a lot of people are looking at us and we become a laughing stock. I mean, at best, they just, again, tolerate us. They see us as something that's, you know, kind of flick it off, move on. We've got to get back. We've got to get back to a gospel that's full of power. We've got to get back to the gospel that, that when, we, when we pray and, and, and we lay hands on the sick, we see results. I tell you guys, I'm going to be really honest. I'm tired of burying my friends. I've been doing this for 40 years, just working, walking with Jesus, and I've buried a lot of my friends that I really felt God wanted to heal. And I've even heard people kind of say, where's your God now? 
know, I don't know the mind of God, but I know his heart. And he loves people. And he wants us to be whole and well. But I don't want to keep burying my friends because I'm missing something. I, I know the onus of it, It's on God. I get that. But at the end of the day, I want to be like Peter. When, when, when they came to Peter and Paul and others, and, and, and Peter and Paul just violated every religious rule there was, and people were healed. The religious authorities came to him and said, stop that. In fact, they were jailed. They were imprisoned at times. Stop that. Stop that. But what did they do? They said, who do we obey? You or someone a lot higher than you. We're going to obey God. So what did they do? They prayed for the very thing that got them in trouble. They were being bold. They prayed for more boldness. That should be our cry. Psalms 19 um, is a part. Turn with me to Psalms 19. There is a remedy. There is an antidote for this incredible drift that the body of Christ is in right now. And I believe the last part of Proverbs 29, 18 tells us that. It says, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The NIV says, blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Something about following the rules of God. There's something about that that brings incredible life. Psalms 19. I, I love this because we are so blessed when we keep God's directives. And, and Psalms 19 really elaborates on the perfection and the trustworthiness of God and his word. I'm just going to buzz through a couple. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to buzz through a couple of these. Psalms 19.8 says, this is David. His precepts are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. David in verse 10 says, go, he goes on to describe uh, God's decrees as more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. I don't know about you, but I need a place where I can rise above, where I can get away, where I can move outside of the range of the storm, and I can process life. And I'm sure every one of you are looking for that quiet, safe place where you can pull back, set aside, step out of the way, and get into a place where you really are able to process what's going on. How many want that more in their life? Yeah. I'm telling you, lean into God and to lean into his word. Some people, we have, there's so much information out there available to us. There used to be this time in history when there was a real scarcity of faith-based material. I can remember maybe 30, 35 years ago, now Watchman Nee, there was a lot of, you know, um, Smith Wigglesworth, that was great. I loved his, I still do love his writings. But there was some old saints out there, but there wasn't a lot of real training. So if you wanted to get any kind of faith-based training, we could call it religious training, I don't like that word, but where did you go? You went to church. 
That's where they had all the classes. How many remember all of the adult Sunday school classes and all the classes? For, how many remember that? You're giving away your age now. <laughs> Some of them are like, I don't want to raise my hand. But there was a moment where that's the only place you could go to really learn and to hear about God. And then all of a sudden, these books started coming out. I remember when some of these books started rolling out 30 years ago. And then pretty soon, all these Christian self-help books just kept multiplying. Now, I'm not anti. Some of them are very good. Some of them are like, what are they writing? So I'm not, I'm not anti that. But then the Internet comes on the scene. And boom, now we have access to gazillions books and resources and podcasts makes your head spin. How many of you listen to podcasts? This is a trick question. No, I'm just, ki I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the information that out there is mind-blowing. And I'll tell you what this has produced in a lot of people. I'm not saying everyone. It has produced this thought that I don't need to go to church. I can sit here on my couch in my pajamas and simply watch this podcast and I'll be filled with the presence of God. I'll be good, I'm golden, and I'm ready to roll. Now, there's, there's some truth in that because all of us individually are temples, right? We are. But at the end of the day, there's something about gathering together, and I'm going to get into that more next week because it, it ties into where I think God is taking us. But there's something about coming together as one. I am so thankful that I didn't know if there'd be 10 people here this morning or 30 or a full house. I mean, I didn't know because, man, New Year's Eve, are you kidding me? Who can sleep through all the cannons and bazookas and stuff going on? We live out in the woods, man. We live on six acres in the country, and it's like <laughs> stuff going off. And it was like some kind of war zone out there. And it was like you just go to doze off, and then your dog's going, Arr! your dog's like having a spasm. And it's like, ah, so brutal. So. I told my wife, I said, I don't know if there's going to be three, six, ten, but praise God, we're going to be here. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to mull on it and ponder it, because we're going to talk about this next week. Do you have a theologically rooted reason for why you go to church? Think about that, because we're going to talk about that next week. Do you have a theological reason... Something that, through the lens of the Word of God, compels you to be here. Ponder that. I have no idea where I'm at on my notes, but we'll make this quick. So, I believe that God, within His economy, within His kingdom, that God has a vision and God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a mission. And I believe as long as we recalibrate our hearts and line ourselves up with His plan, with His purposes, with His vision, we'll go places. We will absolutely go places. One of the things that I've stopped and thought about for a moment again as I come back to this, what is God's prophetic revelation for this church, for our body. What is God speaking to us as a tribe? I believe God is speaking a lot. I have always grew up, and I cut my teeth on the fact that God 
has a plan and God has a purpose for our lives. Number one, our purpose is to just be conformed to the image of Jesus. And that means we press into his word. We press into his presence. And in that, there's this, there's this convergence or divine exchange that happens where we yield more of ourselves to him and, and more of him begins to flow out of us and we become a reflection of who he is. But one thing we need to understand when it comes to vision, and God really wrote this on my heart, is who created the church to begin with? God did. This church and all churches truly was, being, was created by God himself. The idea, the concept, the thought, the notion of church, it's, it's God's idea, not man's idea. Otherwise, you just have a meeting or a gathering of people. But Acts 20, 28 says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Every, every leader in this church, home group leaders, um, elders, uh, worship leaders, I want you to stand. Just stand for a moment. Just stand up quickly. <clears throat> Look around. None of these people, including myself, own any of this. All of this belongs to him. And all of these people that are standing here are amazing people. But you know what they are? They're overseers. They're shepherds. And I believe that their heart is they totally understand that God paid the price for this with his own blood. And they're willing to serve. You guys can stand. They're willing to serve and to serve all of us into a healthier place. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, We are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. The church is this collective group of people. It's the body of Christ. The church is not this building. It's us together. And I just love the fact that we have some really good shepherds. We have some really good overseers in this church that want to see things move in a direction that God's calling us to. The church itself was founded by Jesus himself. He founded it. The church is directed by the Holy Spirit. I can tell you right now, every one of those leaders have a heart to want to hear what the Holy Spirit's speaking because they don't want to be somewhere God is not. They want to be working with the Holy Spirit. I, I know they wrestle with their moments because we all do, but I'm telling you, in their hearts, I have complete faith in the fact that that's where their hearts are at. So I I'm just going to, man, there's so much... I don't mean to sound so scattered this morning, but going to bed at two in the morning and fireworks or, hey, I believe the mission of the church is to glorify Christ. I believe the, the, the mission of the church is to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth and to make disciples, teaching them to obey. That's a word a lot of people don't like to hear, but teaching them to obey all that God taught us. Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I have taught you. We need to teach these things to others. So discipleship and training in that area really should be a big deal. And in home groups, I, I pray that that's, that's what's happening is, is people are being discipled. They have a place and a space where they can, hey, I have a question, Newt. I, I was curious about what this scripture is. And, and even if Newt doesn't have the direct answer, he will get back to you and he will find the answer because that's his heart. He wants to see you find the truth and others as well. I think, I think one of the biggest callings of the church is unity. I think it's uh, the mission of the church also, which is God's vision and mission, is to 
build up the saints, to speak life into each other, to encourage one another and comfort one another. Man, there's, I got tons of scriptures here. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, as we move forward, I think whenever my wife and I start a journey, go on a trip, one of the first things I do is I get out the clean window cleaner and I clean the windows. Right? Because I want to be able to see, especially the inside. I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> it's like you clean it and two minutes later, it's like, is that a fog? What is that? You, you clean inside, outside. Get the bugs off the window. Anything that's going to distort your vision. I'm that guy that if I'm driving down the road and a bug hits right here, like right where my vision is, I pull over. Clean it all off. I want to see. I want clarity. Most of you know my son and I, we scuba dive, and I'm always clearing my goggles. Man, I'll be down in 70 feet of water, and I'm always taking my goggles and doing this and putting there so it cleans the fog out. I want to see. That big shark's coming from my other arm? I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want to see what's coming. So, guys, it's time. It's time for us to just stop for a moment and don't get all giddy about Happy New Year. Woo-hoo! Stop. Just stop for a moment and go, you know what, Father? I need to recalibrate my heart and line it up with your plans and your purposes because if I do, they will succeed. That's not your motive, but that's the promise. And at the end of the day, if you can begin to do that, just stop. And really do a heart search. Line everything up with his plans. You will find a lot of success going into this year. And the other thing is, is be prepared to learn how to fight. Because this year, we're going to learn how to fight. And we're going to get out into the highways and the byways, and we're going to fight. That doesn't mean we're going to go yell at people. That doesn't mean that. We're going to learn how to fight spiritual battles. And I think we're going to learn to do that in one way that I'm so crazy about, and that is learning to release amazing grace on people. I think that is the most powerful weapon, the most powerful tool we have yet to use in the church, and that is releasing grace. Amen? So I was kind of all over the charts this morning, but man, my heart's just like... So please stand. I'm serious about the question, why do I go to church? I'm serious. I think there's an entire generation that has no grace for that. And it's time to be able to call them back. I'm not about numbers here. This has never been my heart, but I am about quality. Now, God's about quantity and numbers, but that's his gift. I just want to make sure we're doing everything we can to provide a safe place and a platform for people to come, experience the presence of God, have their lives radically altered, and the trajectory of their life completely modified as they've made that course correction. Amen? So, Father... I'm going to do something different. Matt, you want to come up here?
his ears this year. Mm. Our feet and hands mm. and clear heads. We thank you that we have the mind of Christ. We thank you that it is no longer us who live, yeah. but Christ who lives mm. in us. The one who loved us, who gave himself for us. Help us give ourselves for him. For you. For you. I just declare failure over every plan of Satan That's good. That's this good. year. That's good. Yeah. Among That's good. this body. Mm. We thank you that you have put him to open shame, mm. that you have disarmed yes. him, yes. and he has no more weapons with which to fight except for his lies. Give us your power, God, to cast down those arguments that whisper, that cast us down, that discourage us. God, give us ears to hear when the enemy's speaking so that yeah. we can say no and replace yeah. it with truth. Yes. God, give us a hunger, Lord, a hunger for you, a hunger for your truth, a hunger for your presence, a hunger for the salvation of souls, oh God. We just pray your blessing and your protection on Doug, Lord, and every leader here, God, and every believer, Lord, who you will lead into the lives of others, God. We just thank you that you have great plans for us. Yes. Teach us, Lord, how to, oh, man, just walk in those. Yeah. We bless your name, Jesus' name. Well, go home and be like me. I'm going to get a good nap today. But if you could help pick up a few chairs because school starts uh, Tuesday and and uh, God bless you guys. Thank you for coming this morning.